Hey everybody, welcome to Required Reading. This week we're doing something a little bit different. This is our at least once a season graphic novel. However, this is not one that I imagine everyone's heard of. I don't know. Uh, this is a different because it's not some groundbreaking piece of graphic novel literature. Uh, but I think it's excellent. It's done by uh, Raina Telgemeier. I don't know why I have such a hard time with her name, but I apologize. Uh, along with a guest. Her name is Rebecca Michaud. She is a local Atlanta graphic novelist and illustrator. Uh, but she guest spoke in our class, and we've let her pick whichever graphic novel she wanted to do, and this is the one she chose. So enjoy Smile, which is the first of a series by uh, kind of a YA expert in graphic novels. Thanks, everyone. Oh, and I don't know if I mentioned this, but we're about to start a series after this on books that we, as the hosts, Mike, Mike, and I, hated in high school. And so the next one is going to be my choice, which is Jane Eyre. Thanks, everyone. Welcome to Required Reading. Uh, this week, we're doing Smile by Raina Tel Telgemeier? Telgemeier. Telgemeier, thank you. I, I am not prepared for anything I do. That's good. Uh, a YA uh, graphic novel uh, based in her own personal experience. Uh, and as someone with bad teeth, I acknowledge uh, I felt very personal in touching this. Uh, but we have a, a different panel. We have a guest. Hello. I am Rebecca Michaud. I am a comic artist in the Atlanta area. I have been working in comics for about five years now and a big fan of Smile and Raina Telgemeier's work as a whole. Yeah, and um, she... And Amaris grad. And Amaris grad. Just can't leave. No. Yes. Just can't stay <laughs> away. back. And uh, the, the third voice you heard, of course, is my esteemed colleague. Hello, Mike Burns. Uh, and we try to do a graphic novel at least once a year, uh, sometimes more. And we thought this one would be, well, kind of dealer's choice. Uh, uh, Miss Michaud has come and spoken to our class, American Experiment, the last two years. And we pitched this to her before. And so we wanted to talk about a graphic novel of her choosing. And this one came up right away. Yeah, and I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to talk with you guys. Awesome. So tell us, uh, Rebecca, why did you pick this book when we offered all and, you, and your deep knowledge, which you shared with the class today, which was excellent, um, why this book? Yeah, so Smile was a whole, as a whole, a very obvious choice to me in some ways. I am a big fan of graphic novels, and my specialty personally is working in graphic novels that are more geared towards kids, teenagers, of that sort. And Smile is really, to me, the epitome of the early 2000s, early 2010s graphic novel and the how it relates to kids, how it was told, how it was published even, being very important to the history of the current comic sphere. Mm -hmm. Can you give us some context of what, what makes it early 2000s and what yeah. makes it so, uh, the storytelling and the art? Yeah, so Smile was originally published on a website called Curlomatic, if I remember correctly, starting in 2004. It was a weekly webcomic that Raina Telgemeier had publishing about her own life, about her dental issues at the time. And to me, the webcomic space, the especially the early webcomic space, is a very interesting look into artists branching out by themselves, not really being 
tied to the publishing industry per se, being able to publish to their own audience. And that is really interesting to me that people can just go out and make comics as they would want to and not have to worry about being in the big industry until it was eventually picked up by graphics imprint of Scholastic. How, how common is, and again, I'm, I'll plead ignorance here. We've done this before with graphic novels. It's not my genre, so, but I'm curious. I love it when I do spend time with it. But how sort of common is that to someone sort of do the DIY way and then break it big or make it with a publisher? Or, or can yeah, it's that? about 50-50. There are a lot of comics that were originally started as webcomics, especially from this time. I can think of Bone was a big one by Jeff Smith. Um, awesome. About we'll, do, we'll do Bone. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'd love to do Bone because it is like twice as thick oh, as Smile here. That's close it's, someone to death's side. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah. Um, sorry. I, I know you're good. Off. I just had a whole list of autobiographies today, and I have forgotten all of them all of a sudden. <laughs> well, then, um, if I like – so uh, Telgemeier was born, I think, in 77, so she's kind of a Gen Xer. Yeah. And – the, the the emotion, the style um, reminds me of a lot of Daniel Close kind of like, let's talk about like Ghost World. Let's just yeah. talk about what teenagers are doing. And clearly, at least in my mind, that's what she grew up with. She's not emulating the style, but it's, you know, it's got that kind of she's Gen X. It's not cynical, but it's kind of that. What was it actually like to be a teenager at the time? Yeah. And it's interesting to see her take on it so far um, different from her past like being more of an adult when it was coming out it's very interesting to see just her reflection looking back into mm-hmm. her own childhood um and just in general i've i recommend a lot of her work i i and i would recommend all of it i just haven't read it all yet. yeah she's got she's a very productive artist oh yeah um and she's done a lot of the illustrated versions of the babysitters club um but other than this there's what is it? Guts. There's guts. There's and sisters. Sisters, and I. There might be, and there's one more. I, think. I, I know there's one more, but I do not remember the name of it off the top of my head. This is the kind of research I don't do in advance. Is ghosts. all her work autobiographical? Is it ghosts? That is. That's right. Most of it is. I mean, ghosts is not autobiographical. Uh, drama, guts, and smile, and sisters are. Yes. Um, ghosts is not, and then uh, the Babysitters Club is not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she tells a lot of her own personal stories. I forget which one came out more recently, but I read Ghosts as well. Yeah. So I'm almost caught. <laughs> uh, Courage is also, I'm just pulling up. I yeah. Can, this is Hoffman Reads Wikipedia. So, <laughs> um, so we can get into a little bit uh, of the the story itself, if you want. Um, do you want to give a plot synopsis? Would you like us yeah. to? Yeah. So Smile is one of those books that's very easy to summarize in like a sentence. It's a story about Raina Tongemeyer's life. Uh, I believe middle to even high school in some points, mm-hmm. uh, telling about her life, the friends she had, the bullies that she dealt with, the crushes she had, all through the like lens and the framing device of the dental work that she had and the dental trauma she sustained right before middle school and then throughout her time for years and years. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, and so the, the and in some ways. Uh, it's a very simple slice of life stuff. And maybe it's just that I grew up in, you know, I'm a millennial. So most of my uh, formative reading happened in the 90s and the 2000s. And everything had to do with 9-11 in some way, right? And so, like, not to say nothing traumatic happened to her. That It happened to her. It yeah. wasn't, like, life-shattering stuff. So it's interesting to see how a slice-of-life comic has a moment that she 
talks about something traumatic that then affects her for the next three-ish years. Yeah. And it kind of fades together into the overall style. Because when you're in high school, those things, you think everything matters. People don't care, but you think everything matters, right? Yeah, like, yeah. And that's what it's about. Um, so when you are reading something like this, I assume you look at it differently than I do. Um, hopefully you still get to just enjoy it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm a historian. People always ask me that. Can you even read history books anymore? I'm like, yeah, I, I can also watch stupid documentaries that are mostly on YouTube. Um, but when you look at something like this, how do you how do you break it up? How do you picture it? Yeah, it was interesting trying to like criticize this book in any way, trying to bring any art school thought to it. When I was reading it for the first time, uh, not too long ago, I'll admit, I didn't read uh, Smile as much as a kid, but I really did enjoy it in the last year or so. Mm -hmm. But it was kind of difficult to bring like an artistic perspective to it just because it is so kind of raw and the way it's made is very simple, but not to say that that's a bad thing. It's very easy to understand and very exactly what it needs to be. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to be like, oh, well, this page is, you know, brilliant because it leads a certain way. The storytelling and the pacing is one way or another, just because it is also, you have to remember, it was a weekly webcomic for a time. And every page, while I'm sure the story was made over a period of time, definitely had, you know, time where it was if I'm making sense here, it was made over a long period of time. And as such, it's a little hard to critique it as just one piece of work. Well, and it, it's funny you say that because uh, it's broken up, I think, into eight chapters. Uh, but in reading it, there is a certain amount of like, not flow issues, but like you can tell where the comics would end. You like you can tell how it would be as a weekly and it has that kind of disjointedness that you feel from it. Yeah. It doesn't hurt it. It's just yeah. that's definitely the narrative style that you're picking up as you read. Yeah, and it's it's very flowy. It doesn't you know, it has a through line of her dental work, but really it goes from one thing to another thing without having like your standard circle of story. It's just her telling her life story and that's that's what that's what it needs to be. I'm well, curious. no, go ahead, Nick. No, no, please, Mike. I was just gonna say, as I'm reading this, I, I'm thinking like it's very. I'm curious, Rebecca, how you create the character because she does a really good job. Like you instantly feel like the trauma that this girl feels when she, you know, knocks her teeth out or knocks them up into her head. Yeah. So how do you, as a storyteller, or what what do you see when you're reading this? How do you effectively like establish character quickly and draw people in and make them care enough to, to click on the web series next week or turn yeah. the pages? Yeah, I think this book does a very good job at establishing the characters very early on. It talks about, you know, her, it starts with her going to the orthodontist, talking about, you know, what she might need in the future, setting up her with this like Girl Scout group that she's with kind of building a lot of empathy for the character even before the story even begins, which is something I like to do a lot in my own work. And in looking in this book, I was reminded a lot of my first couple pages of my own work. Like, oh, this is a very similar tactic that I use in some ways without even realizing it. Because like the Girl Scout group, she jumps back to periodic, so you can sort of see yeah. the progress of her trauma, dental yeah. trauma use. I like dental trauma. be a great band name, I think. Dental trauma. Um, <laughs> dental trauma. <laughs> I think I've lived a lot of dental trauma, so it's, it's hard for me to deal with. Oh, yeah, no, this was a very <laughs> visceral book to read. Oh, I'm just sure. Like, oh, no. Did either of you have braces? Oh, yeah. 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 I had my first root canal last week. Woo! So, um, 
Yeah. Yeah, no, go, going to brunch with my father is really an eye-opening experience because it's always like, well, I'm going to have work done. I'm like, good. Then I'll feel good. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's something. I mean, I will also just, this is me talking comics with you, but it's such an interesting contrast because I don't know at what point what happens in, like, because if anything has a delay between publication and zeitgeist, it's comics. But, like, the early 2000s is Frank Miller nonsense yeah. everywhere and Zack Snyder nonsense everywhere. And it's so grim and the color palette is so dark. And this is, like, pastels. Like, yeah. And, I mean, I know she's a teenager uh, and that would place us in the late 80s, early 90s. So pastels is appropriate. But there's just something so, like whimsical and light compared to what is happening in mainstream comics at the time. Yeah. And even things like um, Black Hole, which again is an indie comic, it's black and white and it's stark and the contrasts are there because that was the zeitgeist of the late 90s and early 2000s and in 2010 we were done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it adds a bit of levity. Which yeah. I like. And I think it does help that this was published you know, over a period of time between I think 2004 to whenever it ended to being picked up by Scholastic in 2010, that it was really, uh, it really worked for it, that it was so made in the time that it was over such a long period of time. I'm, I'm curious, who or who was our audience then versus now? Like, I'm reading this, and I can relate to it, of course, because yeah. it's, it's teen trauma and all that. Is, she, is that who she's normally writing to? Or yeah, her audience... That? for the most part, is uh, younger girls, teenage girls who have gone through similar experiences. And that's uh, that's appropriate across the different books that she's written, the different times in her life. And I think even when this was originally coming out as a webcomic, it was on a website called Girlomatic, which I think specifically was targeted more towards teenage girls at the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes sense. It's like a Judy Bloom of graphic. No, I'm dating myself. Yeah, that but, illusion well, even. you are, but that's fine. I'm old. I yeah. own it. <laughs> but I mean, like, it, it, it also just, it, it feels like it's personal storytelling, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in some ways, being this personal makes it more universal, right? Because yeah. she's getting to, you know, the, the universal issues of being an awkward teenager. Because halfway through it, like, as you mentioned, it's... Not just the summer before her sixth grade years, but it goes all the way to her freshman year of high school. So, you know, she goes through puberty and her, like, she has a scene where her mom tells her, you know, you need to start wearing a bra. And it's just, wait, we were talking about teeth. What's going, right? Like, yeah. you know, and then she starts getting acne. And every now and again, you get these um, images of essentially, I imagine, it's just what's on the, you know, on her sink or what's on her, you know, nightstand, but it's, you know, it's Noxzema, it's um, teen spirit deodorant, it's, you know, it's acne cream, and it's, you know, oxy wipes, and I'm just like, yep, no, this is, yeah. and she has the old Nintendo, and it's, it's something on one hand so specific, it's her story, but it's so broad that it's just the story, yeah. um, it's, 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 it's well done in that way, um, but yeah, so, we can kind of take it through just a little bit and kind of talk about these scenes because it is placed in a certain time period, uh, which I don't want to say dates it, but makes it specific. If you're going to set your movie or your book or your anything in a time, set it in that time. Yeah. And she does. Uh, most notable with the earthquake that happens halfway through. Yeah. Um, but the opening scene, and again, this is kind of a universal thing. She's coming from a Girl Scout meeting of some sort. She's wearing her brownie sash and her pinstripes. And she's going to the orthodontist to get everything, right? 
And if this is a metaphor for a girl going to adulthood, right, girl to a woman, it's kind of an American experience to get your braces. Yeah. Um, and those bastard kids today with their Invisaligns, <laughs> they don't know what it's like. Hi, they will never know. You need a man with like a wrench who's tightening the right. wire. You need a band yeah. around your whole tooth. Spacers, you remember spacers? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. No, I, I had it all. If there was something extra, we could, <laughs> I was upgraded constantly. <laughs> oh, but yeah, and, and the, the jokes are here, like the dentist trying to talk to her with the hook in her mouth, and yeah. she's like, and of course they understand somehow, whatever. Um, but she goes to the meeting, and then like you said, the mom who takes her home, she jumps out of the car, falls and essentially curbs herself, which yeah. is just, that's really something. Um, and she knocks out her two front teeth. Yeah. yeah or knocks them up, right? One goes up and her One goes up, up and one goes out. Yeah. Which is just, it's so mm. much. Unfortunate. But yeah, I think the, yeah, the setup of this, just very, very ironic. And I'm sure that is in what one part what inspired Raina Telgemeier to make this, is the exact idea of the day she knows she's going to get braces right afterwards, falling and crashing and knocking out her two front teeth essentially just well and again like we I, when we were talking in class i talked about american splendor and harvey p car which they did turn into a movie of course with um paul giamatti yeah. ghost uh, world too wasn't it? ghost yeah. world is also a movie um with christina ricci is it scarlett johansson and scarlett johansson's one there's two and i forget who the yes but it is scojo um, they do this a lot, but this to me is a perfect setup for a movie. They also made My Friend Dahmer into a movie, which oh, wasn't yeah. a very good movie. Yeah. Oh, really? No, it was okay. It wasn't Animated? Great. No, live action. Oh, wow. Um, with... Came out a few years ago. Uh, anyway, um, but like that's the prologue. She tells us a prologue, um, and the, the funny thing is the way she acts, the way she reacts, I totally get where something bad happened to her. People are offering her sympathy and she's more embarrassed than anything yeah. because oh, yeah. she tripped and fell. Like, it happens, yeah. but, like, she's bleeding from the face, which is one of the places you don't want to bleed from. No. Any. Um, and they're, like, looking for her tooth. They can't find a tooth. And, like, she's semi-conscious on the couch. It's it's all dramatic. It's all well done. I don't think you're supposed to put a tooth in milk anymore, but all of that stuff is just, as it comes together... The action is told through, well, through darkness, through light, through shadow. It moves so smoothly. I I give it this credit that picking it up, you can read it, you can get the emotions. Um, and you mentioned the age. For YA, they get this. Yeah. So. Yeah. As we've been referencing back and forth, it is a very uh, recognizable thing that happened and a very uh, relatable thing that a lot of people go through, not just the dental work, but the school work, the crushes and everything that she experiences throughout the book. Well, I'm curious, what if, just in terms of, I mean, I have no doubt this happened to her. I assume this is nonfiction and it happened to her. But in terms of like that, the genre of a, you know, awkward teenager in those cringy moments, right? You know, that just being a teenager, 13 year old is, is cringy enough. But then is it just me and my own dental phobia that adding the layer of like dental work on top of that makes it even more cringy? And there's something about the whole genre, like we want those cringy moments because we've all lived them, but yeah. we relate. That's how you create empathy with the character. 
maybe, maybe it's just me. I interpreted that as her like deflecting in like a Freudian way. Like so much of middle school is so traumatic for her. And they get into this. So her focusing on how much her mouth hurts and her dentist stuff is a way to her avoid talk about how weird puberty is and all that other stuff, right? Yeah. So it works as both. It works both ways. Because you're right, it is incredibly visceral. And her minimalist style looks very cartoony. Like it could be like, you know, up there with the amazing world of gumball as a TV show for kids. And then you get these weird shots of it, like almost up her nose as the dentist yeah. is pulling the yeah. gums. Yeah, there's a bunch of like, if this was any more realistic, this would be terrifying. That's right. Shots oh, of the dental. <laughs> it's already a little terrifying. But shots of, you know, the dental work, being at the dentist, that could be very scary in other contexts. It and, is. Yeah. I, I, have you guys seen Pen 15? That the, I think it's on Hulu. I don't yeah, think yeah. I have. So it's like two adult women that are portraying their their 13-year-old selves and so they're acting with other kids. And I think it's an interesting like a dynamic there because as an adult reading a teen narrative it it brings back those anxieties that sort of awkwardness of like the 7th grade dance whatever. I'm feeling it in my body as yeah. I'm reading it and thinking about it. And then the the dentist too. So I think it's really kind of interesting the way that um, not only you're living through the trauma of being a teen, but then looking back on it as an adult, like you know you're going to get through it, but you can see those cringe moments coming and, and feel them coming, um, which is great conflict. That's why there's so many you know protagonists in their teens, and, and that that coming of age is a is a classic time for literature. So. You also have the um, the different adults and how they relate to kids, right? Because, you know, you have, uh, uh, I'm going to get these doctors all this stuff wrong, but like Dragoni, the one who's the main orthodontist, um, the main orthodontist guy, the one with the mustache and the kind of black hair, generally explains stuff and he's viewed pretty positively. And then you have the uh, periodontist, the guy who's working on the gums, who doesn't. And yeah. like, he's depicted very differently. And as a kid, I mean, we, we talked about this when I lectured on medicine, but like when you are not respected, uh, no, it's with yellow wallpaper. When you're a patient and they're not explaining what's happening to you, it's very scary. Yeah. And you, especially when you're a kid, because you have no power in the situation. And she does a good job of illustrating it. And, you know, the mom stands up for her, um, which, you know, is a good scene and it works and yada, yada, yada. But like, that's something that's very realistic. Yeah. Right? Um, and then because she is a person and she's having these emotions and she's feeling terrified. And of course, the one thing she wants to eat is the thing she can't eat when yeah. she's a dentist. Uh, she has a, or not dentures, but her braces <laughs> in. I, I know sentences. Yeah. Eventually I'll remember sentences. She has sentences. kind of dent. She has like a. Um, well, she also yeah. has fake, yeah, yeah, fake, fake front teeth. teeth. Bridge <laughs> thing at one point. Yeah. I didn't even know those existed until I read this book and I was All like, right. oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, there That's was educational a, too, yes. a student in my grade here uh, who you might remember, Stephanie Sims, uh -huh. and she has a fake canine, and she would you know pop it out All just right. to freak people out <laughs> in class, and you know like you know week four, week five after the first test when the teacher was going over the test she didn't do well on, she'd just be missing a tooth, <laughs> and then midway through the class she'd put it back in just to mess with people. You know it's. It is what it is. You <laughs> you, you live with yourself. Oh, that's great, great stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, we, we can kind of go through it like beat by beat, but like you said, it's, it's a kind of quick read. It's a quick book. And so the conflicts that come up are generally have to do with a mixture of social anxiety versus how her dental health is, which I know when I'm saying this out loud, it sounds very strange, 
Well, I mean, because it turns out that their root canal is damaged, so her teeth are collapsing, and then she has to get the fake teeth, and they're going to pull them. And which, again, going back to Mike's visceralness, this is very visceral. Yeah. Yeah. Having to explain it out loud, you realize, oh, this book actually is kind of scary in its dental work. Trauma like, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Totally. But it's also balanced with like. Is she going? Who is, is she going to go to the dance with this guy that likes her? Is she going to ask this guy who likes her to the dance? Like, it's very back and forth. Well, and then there's that uh, the when she's a seventh grader, there's a sixth grader who has a crush on her, and like, I, I've taught high school for years now. It's everyone is shocked that she's in love or she has a crush on a younger guy, which. I totally get because if anything, girls mature much faster than the guys. And watching the tenth grade guys against the tenth grade girls, it's quite a stark difference in maturity levels. So yes, it is surprising. But then she has a crush on an older guy, um, which is really, and again, like that feels very realistic. There's also a breakdown of how like everyone is actually uncomfortable in their own way as they're going through puberty at different rates. Uh, she's talking about her friends. And like how it's just incredibly uncomfortable for yeah, all of them. Yeah. Suddenly curly, gloomy. Yeah, that's a great panel. Yeah. yeah. Have to find that in here somewhere. Um, so, Rebecca, you mentioned something when, when you started um, that it was hard to bring your sort of art school self to this. Is that because they don't teach or, or present works like this when you're in art school or, or graphic art? And if so, why? Is there a bias against something like this? They do. Sometimes I was very fortunate that the professor I had for a lot of my classes, uh, Kevin Burkholder, is a big fan of autobiography and autobiography comics. That's a lot of the things that he works with in his own time. He, I believe, even writes at one or at one point was working on his own, uh, you know, weekly comic in the same kind of vein, but about his adult life. And that he specifically was one of the people to be like, smile is really good, actually. And autobiography comics have a place in the comic world. Okay. We didn't talk about them as much in like the terms of history of comics. That was more, uh, you know, superheroes, your, your other things. But I was also always fortunate that we did talk about things like autobiographies like this, the, you know, the simpler work, the cartoony stuff. Okay. So would this be considered like a sleeper hit or like a cult classic or where does this fit in the, the scope of graphic novels. I'm asking either of you because yeah. I didn't know of it before you suggested it, Rebecca. Well, it's scholastic, so it's definitely yeah. one of those books at book fair. Okay. Yes. I mean, and like I, I mean, I, mean I say I say that sarcastically, but like this is in the kind of YA section of the library. This is the kind of stuff that you'd have in a middle school library. Yeah. This um, is very you saw it at the book fair and you related to it, so you bought it. Right. And now she's published so much, I imagine there are fans specifically of her oh, because yeah. again she's been doing this now for probably 15 years yeah 20 years um and so you know and you said the web comics almost got it'll be 20 years next year yeah right? right so that 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 does you know build in its own kind of pocket audience which is kind of neat i like i like stuff like this where it and then when you were in the class you were talking about this too I'm sure she has an editor. I'm sure she has a, you know, script supervisor, someone who says, you know, this, this, this. Yeah. yeah. But this is clearly her voice. This is clearly her look. This is clearly who she wants to be. Yeah. And she's afforded herself that kind of freedom by starting out this webcomic. Yeah. Which is kind of a cool part of the story. Yeah. And I was I was trying to research earlier and I was having a little trouble. 
if these are the original pages from the beginning of the webcomic, because something you see a lot in webcomics and stories that are told over a very long period of time is artistic improvement. Mm -hmm. You can see like someone starting out kind of forcing themselves to get better and better as they draw more working on a webcomic like this. And sometimes, you know, for uh, collected books like this, they will go back and redo the first couple pages, the first couple chapters to, you know, have the style be more consistent. But I was not able to figure out if that happened with this book or if this is the, what it looked like originally, if it was colored like this originally, how what changes were made between the, being a webcomic and being a physical book. Yeah. Is this consistent with her other style as far as color and, and lines? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Okay. Yeah. The color especially. Yeah. Like she always has these kind of kind of vivid pastels. Yeah, it really pops. It's, yeah. It's fun to look at, you know. Yeah. You know, and this is a character who's supposed to be aging over time, and she ages her up. Yeah. She changes how the characters look, and, you know... It, it, it is something you notice. Again, you walk around the halls here. Don't don't just show up at a school. But um, one of her friends suddenly gets much taller than her. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, and they develop differently, and their hair changes, and their attitudes change over the course of the year. Like, yeah. it's that kind of stuff which I would say maybe wasn't in the webcomic, and then when she was novelizing this, she de- makes sure to develop throughout. I don't know. I yeah. could be wrong. But, like... You know, her friends are consistently growing, and she has a falling out at one point, but by that point, it, it almost makes sense because you can see how they developed over yeah. time. And her, their height differences, is, I, don't, I don't know, like, I like that kind of attention to detail, especially since, unlike, say, another book we've done on here, uh, My Friend Dahmer, which essentially takes place over nine months, there isn't that much change. They are high school guys. Some change a little bit, which they do. But this is four years during the years when the girls would grow the most, from yeah. sixth grade to ninth grade. That's that's nice. That's a nice touch that they do. Um, and I can see the message of it at the end. I mean, she comes to self-acceptance. She has like, the, I'm looking at the second to last panel or, or towards the end. Uh, she says, the more I focused on my interests, the more I brought up things I liked about myself. Mm-hmm. And, and that affected how uh, the way other people saw me. So she sort of loses that self consciousness and exchanges it for self-confidence which is a great message yeah yeah which is a good something she does throughout which is like her confidence is broken and she's slowly building it up and that's also illustrated with what i was talking about the stuff that's like on her nightstand with you know the teens through the oxy the nails the the cologne the the leg shavers and you know she's the previous page is her imagining her perfect kiss and then it's next to all the horrible things that teens have to deal with. And it's about her trying to accept herself. I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I like how that all comes together. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the end of, you know, excel, self-acceptance. And, you know, looking back on who you were as a person in middle school and realizing, you know, it, it was okay that you were cringy and went through a lot of awkward experiences because you were, you know, 13. Right. Yeah, and as an adult, you realize that everyone was feeling those cringy experiences, too. It wasn't just you. Yeah. And even though they're horribly scarring, they didn't matter. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, like, as she gets closer to the end of the book and, you know, she stands up for herself against her friend, like the people are picking on her, the bullies, um, the things on her nightstand also change to, like, the paints because she realizes she wants to be an artist. 
and um, the head, like her headgear, which is like next to a candle of morning, almost like it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it's almost like it's retired, um, like a yearbook photo. It's yeah. very funny. Um, to eventually her being confident enough to paint the um, the sign for like the dance, right, the tenth grade dance. So she's done it. She's gone full circle, uh, which is kind of a nice way to come around to it. Um, yeah. Anything else you want to touch on? Like. Uh, I'm not saying we're selling this short, but it's a YA novel. It's a quick read. Um, I would say, unlike some of the books we've done, which are several hundred pages, this one you could pick up and read in a nice afternoon. Yeah, like, I I think when I originally picked it up, it took like an hour to read, read through it. And that's, you know, even looking carefully at everything, it's a short read. It's nice, short, and simple. Even though it spans a good chunk of her life, it, it all wraps together very nicely. Well, and it's appealing to her audience. If she wants to talk to other middle schoolers, even guys, even boys and girls and everyone, you, you want to keep that short, tight, and concise. There's very little wasted space. Yeah. Um, and it's because of that, that efficiency of storytelling, it moves quick, too, yeah. which is nice. Like, I was just flipping back through it as we talked, and I was like, wow, a lot happens in this book. Like, even though it is... Only a couple hundred pages long. A lot happens even in everything. Like you said, there is no wasted space in this book. Yeah, and, um, you know, uh, just the, the colors and the vividness and just the action. Like, you see these moments where, like, you're cutting between them playing spin the bottle and then, like, just... The, it almost immediately cuts to her trying to, like, back in the dentist chair. Everything is punctuated by the fact that she's back in that dentist yeah. chair. And the near medieval levels of, like, hooks and angles and cutting implements. And, like, it's just the worst, like, vividness. Like, yeah. again, that scene with the gums, I I had to do something similar, though my anesthetic worked. So I... I'm sympathetic to this completely. Um, I love the because I had something similar. I had braces where she has the rubber bands like go across her yeah, mouth. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like there's no way you can eat or talk, but that's what your dentist thinks. Oh, this, yeah. It works nothing, out in the end. Yeah. Nothing else worked. Let's see if this <laughs> right, if this yeah. does anything. God, I remember the time I had the rubber bands in my braces, and it was the most annoying thing. And right. I am very glad to not be in that anymore. Yeah. I mean, and I, I don't know if, I mean, I've always had bad sinuses too. So like, I would like, A, I would snore, but I would open and close my mouth when I slept. And so I would just cut up the inside of my mouth. Oh. That's something I don't miss, right? Like putting the wax on yeah. the little oh, yeah, thing. Right. Like, <laughs> well, this has been very therapeutic it's a universal for trauma, right? Yes. <laughs> Dental trauma. Dental oh trauma. God. And yeah, no, I, I don't miss it. You know, I don't miss that at all. I'm 37. I'm fine with that. <laughs> I don't want to go back in time. But to the point that we're saying, I mean, that's that's what makes this so great. And thank you for sharing this because yeah, yeah we've all we all had our dental trauma stories, so yeah. we can relate to Reina in this and 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 look back and laugh and knowing we've survived it. So I will say, my daughter, my six year old Naomi lost your front teeth in September and now they're coming in but they're not all the way so that she does have that little vampire Aww. effect. Did you play All I Want for Christmas is my two front teeth? That was one of those songs she liked immediately and then by the end she was sick of because she's <laughs> like I don't want it's, that, Is that like the most annoying Christmas song? There's a lot of annoying it's Christmas up there, songs. But it's yeah. up there. 
Um, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas is up there too. Her favorite this year was Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, which is a real, that's a struggle for me. She's your child, Nick. Okay. Oh, of course it is. I mean, got your sense of I introduced her to Weird Al, and that was, and she liked Christmas at Ground Zero, too. So we're, we're all there. We're all there. Uh, anyway, so just around the horn, I, I would recommend this for a middle school classroom. I think it would be perfect. Um, or anybody. I think yeah. it's a fun, quick read, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I would just toss this to people. I've, I've, I've given wasn't this one. I gave guts to my wife because I checked it out library. I had a few days left. I'm just, yeah. I'm just knocking down. You'll, you'll, it'll, yeah. take, it'll take a day. Yeah. Um, and she liked it. So, um, and like I said, my oldest is six, so she's a little young, but not much. Yeah. By the time she's 10, I think she could knock this out too. So. Yeah. This is one of those books I'd really recommend for anyone of age, any age group. If you're younger than it, you know, something to look at forward into the future and realize what might happen. If you're older, looking back, if you're in it, kind of relating to what's happening. And even if you're now way farther into ad adulthood, coming back to something like a simpler time and a simpler time to where you had, where your biggest Dish issues were your dental work and who you were going, who you liked, what classes you took, and your friends. Totally, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, Re Rebecca, since you're an author here, we always let our guests to plug things. So, what are you working on? What's coming up for you professionally? Yeah, so right now I am working on a book with Wildstar Press, a small press located here in Atlanta. I'm the big project right now I'm working on is Potions 101, the final project. It's kind of a story about a bunch of college-age witches and wizards working on this group project that really none of them are happy about. And that is hopefully coming out early 2024. I've been working on it for some time now. so mm. it's The trauma of group projects. The trauma yes. of group projects. <laughs> Perfect for teachers. Yeah. Never goes away. No. no. All right. Um, well, thanks. Thanks for coming out. I hope you'll be able to come by again. Um, and he's not here this week. Uh, sick kid. Uh, but I will plug uh, Michael C. Carroll on Instagram. Follow his book progression. Um, he mentioned this last time, I believe. Uh, but his short story has just been selected for a new short story collection. And his book is well on its way. So follow that for readings from both Beowulf and from his yeah. own stories. Go, Mike. Very nice. Yeah. Cool. Um, meanwhile, I just am. I am existing. Thank you for listening. Thanks for coming and listening to what we do. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for reviewing. And we'll see you back in about two weeks. Yeah, thanks, y'all. Thanks, uh, Rebecca. Yeah, and thank, thank you thank guys you. for having me. Bye. Bye. Required Reading is a product of Maris Podcasting and Dude Letter Podcasting. It is hosted by Nick Hoffman and co-hosted by Mike Burns and Mike Carroll. It is edited and produced by Nick Hoffman. The theme is Sands by Davis Burns. The opinions expressed are opinions of the hosts and the guests, but not of Marist School. All rights reserved. Thanks.